Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. We're back after our summer break, and I'm joined as usual by Max and James to talk all things Liverpool. Euros are over, guys, so are we ready for the new season to start? Yeah, I think we desperately need it after England's result, don't we? So, <laughs> yeah, always ready for the new season to start. I'm just sick of all the transfer speculation. Um, don't get me wrong, it's fun for a week or two trying to figure out who you're getting, but then when you just see everyone just hammering and going mental over who we're not signing or who we are signing or who we're selling, Jesus Christ, just can we play some football? <laughs> Yeah, I think even though we always, well, I personally think there's probably too much football in 2021, uh, but we, you know, two or three weeks without any, you really do miss it. So let's get cracking. Before we go into um, the transfer talk that I'm sure Max will love talking about after that introduction, we'll begin with some of the most recent Liverpool news from the last few weeks. Um, I guess the biggest story over the last few days has been the comments that have came out from Jeannie Vinaldum. He obviously left Liverpool at the back end of last season and he's moved to Paris Saint-Germain on a free transfer. And this week he did an interview in the Times where he said he didn't feel as loved by some Liverpool fans, particularly the fans on social media, and how after every game he felt like he was getting unfair criticism. Um, first of all, James, what do we make of those comments? I was quite surprised, to be honest, uh, when he came out and said the comments. Um, but then again, you know, we, we've seen, especially, you know, especially during the Euros, how toxic social media can be after one game. Um, you know, everyone's singing your praises one minute, the next minute they're on your back or, you know, and taking it a step too far. But I think as, you know, with social media, I think you have to be cautious to think that not all of them are Liverpool fans, not all of them are real people. Some of them are you know, just like fake accounts. And yeah, it's a bit sad that if that is one of the main reasons he's decided to leave is because of people going onto social media straight after games. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if that was the main reason because, like, you know, I can't imagine that the fans in, um, of Paris Saint-Germain are all angels on um, on social media either. I mean, like, these people who go on and, you know, just tweet abuse because they've got nothing better to do than their mum's basements, <laughs> um, you know, we all know they're tragic. And I'm sure Ginny knows that as well. I'm sure that he knows that, a lot of fans, um, myself and uh, I'm sure you two as well, very much included, loved him. Um, you know, I, I was saying to friends the other day, I don't think there are many more versatile midfielders in the world. Like, you can play a six, eight, ten, all to a very, very good level. Um, and he will be, I'm sure, desperately missed. I can understand the business sense behind not giving him a really big contract until he's, like, 34, 35. Um, but just from an on-field on perspective, and I'm sure off-field perspective, he seemed like a very popular player, um, especially given his send-off. Uh, he'll be missed at Liverpool, and I think all we can do is just wish him all the best and hope that he's happier in Paris um, uh, than he has been at Liverpool in recent years anyway. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he was one of my personal favourite players. I think after that Barcelona game, he, he became a bit of a cult hero on the cop, didn't he? Um and it is sad to see, especially when he said, you know, in his, in his comments, how he, in his last year, his contract to Liverpool, he kind of knew he was going to leave. So he could have effectively down tools, maybe not tried as hard because he was 
might have been worried about risking an injury and, and jeopardising, you know, a big contract, which I'm sure he, he's got at PSG. Do we think it's time that football clubs and or so more obviously probably social media companies kind of clamp down on this kind of social media trolling that we're seeing? Or is it a matter of, you know, if you're on social media, you know the risks and you know that there's going to be idiots in your mentions, particularly if you're a popular um, world-famous athlete. Is it... Or is it a balance of the two? What do you think, James? I, th- I think it's a balance of the two. Um, I think there was a petition going around saying that for a call for s- social media companies to, if you're going to sign up to a new account, to upload some sort of ID to sort of verify that you are a real person because people now are just creating accounts, deleting them, or when they get banned, creating you want to start again. Um, but I also agree with the first point where if you are out there on social media and you have got millions of followers you are going to get the criticism obviously you don't expect and you don't want it to go to the level that it has been going like I said before at the Euros with Rashford, Sancho and Saka you you know you never want to see anything like that Um, but I think if it's just constructive criticism then I think as a professional sportsman with millions of followers you should expect that especially I mean, let's be honest, he wasn't fantastic all season. Yes, he did put the effort in, but he, he wasn't the genie that we saw in the Champions League run or the title winning season. He sort of, he dropped as well as everybody else did last season. Um, so I think some criticism that he may have received might have been justified, but it should never go to the extent that obviously it does go to. I think it depends. Um Agree. I agree. I think there's a sense of balance. I, I for one, don't fully agree with the um, and it, like getting rid of all anonymity because yes, it helps the you know dickheads who are out there on social media, but there are also people you know um, could be fans, could be anything who are who aren't comfortable with putting their identity out on social media. And if you make everyone on Mars, you're going to make some people who are on social media who aren't comfortable with putting themselves out there. Um, you're going to force them to choose between what's now a huge part of most people's lives or, you know, putting themselves out there when they're not comfortable doing it. So I don't, I don't think that's the answer. Um, there does have to be some sort of clamping down on it, though. I mean, like we've heard about arrests being made, um, and I think that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, like if you're a professional athlete, you're going to get criticism on on social media and you like you know you should expect that if you if you perform badly fans aren't going to be happy and they're gonna you know if somebody says yeah you played poorly then that's you know that's a perfectly fair thing to say but like you know giving death threats to the guy and to his kids and all that sort of thing like you know we've seen we've seen that sort of unpleasantness with so many um footballers and racism and just it's all awful so I, I can completely understand footballers, you know, going out against it. And this bollocks of them saying, oh, yeah, but you earn 150 grand a week, so therefore it doesn't matter is rubbish. However much money you make has got nothing to do with how your mental health operates. So, yeah, I mean, like, whilst, yeah, there is a balance and that, you know, I don't think anonymity is the answer, there has to be something done about this. And the good thing is that I think something is starting to happen just through weight of public opinion. Yeah, completely agree. And obviously we wish Genie the best at PSG and, and hopefully he goes on to a successful career there because he's been a great servant for the club. Um, before we move on to more transfer talk, one other big story that's happened um, in the last week or two 
it kind of mirrors Jeannie's situation at Liverpool a little bit. Is, is the future of Jordan Henderson's came under a little bit of um, questioning. He's obviously only got two years left on the, on his current deal, which expires in 2023. And there's been some suggestion that the club, I guess the ownership, may consider cashing in on him now, given his age, 31 years old, similar age to Jeannie, um, which to me seems like an absolutely bonkers decision, James. I honestly don't believe it <laughs> from the from the second no, from the first time I read it on on Twitter. I just thought it was a load of rubbish, especially if the club are still giving James Milner contracts. <laughs> you know, when yeah. he's in his mid thirties now, so I think the Genie situation is completely different. I think Genie was trying to look for his last big contract, um, was looking for his last big payday, and I, I don't take Henderson as that kind of player. I think if the club said, "Listen, can you take?" Because you're getting older, we've got to pay you a little bit less. I, you know, I think he, you know, the love he has for the club, I think it would be something you'd possibly consider. But you know, I, I don't think you can get rid of the captain of the club that easily. Someone who's delivered a first title in over 30 years, and someone who's delivered a Champions League trophy as well. Um, I think they'll be ludicrous. You've seen the leadership he had with the England squad as well. You know, he wasn't the captain, but you know, Gareth Southgate said, you know, it didn't have to think twice about taking a player like Henderson because of his leadership qualities on the training pitch and how he puts his arm around the players. So it'd be, like you said, be ludicrous for, for Liverpool to be considered getting rid of him. Yeah, I mean, getting rid of him before his contract runs out is madness to me. Um, I can... It's really hard because, like, my heart says keep him. Give him what he wants. Keep him until he's 38, 39, 73, whatever. Um, but my head also says giving a player like Jordan Henson clip like, he might not want to be the next James Milner he might not want to be you know the guy who sits on the bench most of the time and just gets called up you know when needed and when required to fill in every now and then he might want to you know stay as a starter for as long as he can and if he can't do that at Liverpool he wants to you know earn a contract somewhere else where he will start and where he feels that you know he is earning that um uh, that level of um, income. And I can understand that that decision-making. And at the end of the day, you know, he's got a, he's got a young family and he wants to provide for them as best as he can. Um, I think the FSG have got a really, really difficult um, time coming up ahead of them with this because if they try and sell Jordan Henderson actively, especially without him saying, I would like to go, um, there would be a full-on revolt. I'm absolutely sure. Um, and when and and if and when he does leave, that'll obviously be a devastating blow. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's an easy situation for the club, the owners, or the players. Really. I mean, one thing to pick up pick up on what you said there, Max is: should we be worried about FSG's influence in football and decisions at this point? I mean. We know they've done a lot of questionable things, especially in the last last year since the pandemic hit with the, with the stuff that happened around furlough and then the Europe, European Super League. It's left a pretty bad taste in a lot of Liverpool fans' mouths. But Klopp didn't want Wijnaldum to leave. The FSG wouldn't offer Wijnaldum the contract he wanted. Now, if we're going to have a similar situation here where I'm sure Klopp would absolutely be horrified at the thought of FSG selling Henderson... But Klopp didn't get his way with Van Alden. If he doesn't get his get his way with Henderson as well, is this a concern that FSG seem to be making such significant 
footballing decisions and maybe having taken the power away from the coach? Yeah, definitely. I think you, if you look at all the things that PS that, that not PSG FSG have done yeah. um, since they've come in, um, you know, the trying to increase the ticket prices, like you said, the furlough, the European Super League. Fans have sort of been able to forgive them a little bit easier because they were off-field decisions. It's not really affected what's happened on the pitch, but now they're starting to, like you said, they're starting to impact what's going on on the pitch. So. We've slowly seen transfers, players coming in, slowly decline window on window. We've seen less money being spent. We're seeing players not get the contracts that they want and players leaving for free. Obviously, Wijnaldum's the, you know, the prime example. Um, yeah, I think that if they start to make some big on-field decisions without consulting Klopp or without taking his opinion into account and they're just going out saying, right, you're at a certain age, you're earning so much. We're just going to sell you on, try and get as much money as we can and try and replace you with a younger player, someone who's going to stay at the club um, for the next five, seven, eight, ten years. Um, then I think it's going to cause some some uncertainty within the fans of this whole FSG, FSG in, FSG out. I think you're going to see a lot more out than in. Yeah, I think it's... The... The issue I have is that it's very easy to look at this in sort of terms of black and white. Like, you know, either FSG are running everything in Klopp, you know, doesn't have the decision-making power, or, um, you know, Klopp should have all the power and decide over contracts and things like that, which I actually don't think should be the case either. Because at the end of the day, Klopp is a very loyal, um, he's a very loyal man, and that's a commendable trait. But we've seen what happens when teams all get old together. Like you look at Manchester City when Pep Guardiola first came in, that team had all really gotten old together. Yaya Toro was still there, Bakar Sanya, Alexander Kolarov. Um, you know, you had all these players who were there who were just getting old together, and the team had quite clearly stagnated um, going into that. And we can't like we just can't afford a situation like that at Liverpool. There does need to be some sort of turnover. I'm not saying that Jordan Henderson needs to go or that Salah needs to go or anything like that. But at the end of the day, this squad is starting to age together, and younger players need to be brought in. And unfortunately, we're not a Chelsea, we're not a Manchester City or a Man United who can just go. All right, that's okay. We'll just keep these guys until they're you know 32, 33. Um, and, you know, buy the young players now and keep them around and just have a really bloated squad. I mean, look what's happened with Barcelona. They had Luis Suarez, um, Ant- Antoine Griezmann, Lionel Messi, Gerard Piquet, all these older players who are on just stupid contracts. And now that's part of the reason. I mean, like, yeah, there are a lot of other reasons, but that's part of the reason why they're reportedly in over a billion euros of debt. So there has to be some level of business sense going into it as well as um, sentimentality when it comes to the players and I think that there needs to be a balance with that unfortunately Yeah absolutely so in terms of transfers um, obviously there's not much football going on at the minute so that's all we really have to talk about as it stands we've had one in in Canate which I'm sure we're all very happy about in terms of other incomings it seems like we you know fsg's need to sell um to buy policies still very much in place but at the moment all of liverpool's 17 non-homegrown spots are currently occupied meaning if any player we did buy who wasn't 
basically English, someone would have to be replaced in, in those spots, if that makes sense. So I guess the obvious ones to sell would be, you know, your Divock Origi's, your Jadon Shakiri's, who's been heavily linked for move away today. Um, can we see those kind of guys moving out, James? Your Origi, Shakiri's, maybe your Minamino's? I think definitely your Shakiri's after what he said today, <laughs> saying that he'd love to return to Italy and Lazio's the team he wants to play for and saying that the owners have given him the go-ahead to start looking for another club and they won't stand in his way. So I think if we can recoup the money we paid for him or if Michael Edwards can do his magic and get an extra 20 million on top, which is what he seems to do with everyone, then I think that'll that'll suit everyone down to the ground. Um, I think it's going to be hard to shift a Rigi. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but I just have a gut feeling that it, it's going to be hard to shift him. I think after the Champions League final, when we went and gave him a new contract as well. So our club's looking at a Rigi and thinking the valuation of the club is too high. And then, you know, when he, I think he's got maybe two years left on his deal. So in, in 12 months time, he could be looking at a reduced fee. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, like you said, Minamino as well got sent out on loan and a, from what's been said over the summer, he hasn't really been fancied by Klopp, even though from the videos the club are putting up on Twitter, he looks great in pre-season, uh, in, in the training ground. But uh, for some reason, he's just not getting a look in by Klopp. And I think that he's sort of scratching around and I don't think anyone's going to pay the money the club want for Navigator if they want to sell him this summer. So I think the, the outgoings are, are going to be a lot harder than, than what we've been used to over the last couple of years. But obviously, Harry Wilson going for 12 million the Fulham is obviously going to add a bit bit more money to the kitty. So, um, yeah, I think these players we've got on the bench or the players, the squad players now that we used to be able to shift pretty easily, I think it could be quite difficult this summer to try and shift a few. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit complicated, really. Um, Jean Shakiri leaving, plus all the outgoings, should get us roughly... From the sums I've seen, around 40, 45 million pounds. Um, and then that's only one non-homegrown spot to fill. Um, Canate looks really good from what I've seen. He's got the pace that we sorely, sorely lacked um, in defence towards the end of last season. Um, in terms of uh, potential targets, whoever it is. like the, It seems like there are a few players out there who are available for low fees. And I think that's the only way you can really see Divock Origi going out is if he was maybe part of a part exchange deal, which does seem to be happening quite a lot um, with players at the moment. Uh, we've just seen one happen with, um, uh, apologies for butchering the pronunciation, Brian Hill, I think you would pronounce it, um, going to Spurs with um, Eric Lamella and 25 million euros going the other way to Sevilla. Um, that could be a way to do the deal. Um, we've been linked with Dusan Vlajevic from Fiorentina, um, a big, powerful number nine. Um, Divock Ariki could maybe use, be used as a negotiating tool to bring that price down. Um, but yeah, I'd be very surprised if another attacker or midfielder wasn't signed. Um, there were reports coming out today from Carl Markham that um, it's unlikely that any new players are coming, but I, I would just find that very strange given the amount of outgoings, especially if Jordan Shakiri leaves, um, because he was, I would say that outside of the um, big sort of four attackers we have, Firmino, Jota, 
Mane and Salah, I would certainly say he's the best of the other attackers that are in the squad. So if he isn't replaced, I would find that very strange. And there's players on the market for cheap. Husam Awar, for example, in midfield, um, you know, he was being touted as a £60 million player a, a year or so ago. Now I've seen reports that he's going around for €25 million. Euros. There are players on the market who are of the right price that we should be looking for. Um, it's just a question of if we'll bite. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, Carl Markham's report on the independence says Liverpool are unlikely to have any other incomings. But if there's been other conflicting reports of a reputable journalists, and Melissa Reddy, James Pierce have said that there will be business done for certain, you know, certain positions if if the outgoings can be made. So I think the key is to try and shift the likes of Origi and Shakiri. But I think James is right where he says Origi is going to be a difficult one. There's not seemed to be too much interest from from other clubs being reported at the moment. But there's still a long way to go in the window. And I think if we're you know, in this same situation at the end of the window with just Canate in, maybe we could be a bit more concerned. But as it stands, there's a lot more business to be done, I'm sure. Do you think, given the status of the non-homegrown players' spots um, at Liverpool at the moment, is this perhaps why we're being linked with more English options? Obviously, last week, we saw a report from, uh, I think it was in The Athletic, from James Pearce saying that Liverpool were looking at Jared Bowen of West Ham. Um is that something you'd, you'd like to see happen, James? Or do you think that would be, you know, a bit underwhelming? I think the reaction on Twitter was a bit underwhelming, but maybe we're not doing justice to... He's, he's a clearly very good player. Yeah, I do. I, I highly rate Jared Bowen. I think he's done wonders since going from Hull to West Ham. I think he moved in the January transfer window, not last season, the season before. And obviously coming in halfway through a season, I think it's quite hard to adapt into a new team, especially at such a young age. Um Last season, I think he was one of West Ham's brightest players, scoring goals, getting assists. Seems a lot quicker than what than what you think he is. Looking at him on first first glance, he is a quick winger. Um, the only stumbling block will be is English young West Ham. We've got Europa League football. That's you know that's where it's going to be the sticking point. Is the, the transfer fee for him? I think it's going to be pretty high. Um, but I trust anyone. If anyone's going to get the best out of him, it's going to be Jurgen Klopp. We've Seen these sorts of signings before. Wijnaldum from Newcastle, Robertson from Hull, uh, Shakiri from Stoke, where you look at it and you go, you know, it's, it's, he's not a recognised name. It's, it's not a big name signing that, you know, gets you off your seat and thinks, like, this player is going to take us towards the title or towards the Champions League. But in the long run, you know, playing under Jurgen Klopp, we've seen those three players. I mean, Shakiri's not played that much, but he's played his part in the Barcelona 4 0 win. Um, so, yeah, um, if anyone's going to get the best out of him, I think it's going to be Jurgen Klopp, but I don't think West Ham are going to budge on price. And obviously, with him being young and English, you know, it's going to make it very hard to, to get a deal over the line, personally. I Yeah, I find, it a, I find it a very unusual deal. I mean, like his market value, according to transfer marks, is around €30 million. Euros, and you can be sure that West Ham are going to do it to demand more than that, especially heading into Europe. Like, they're, they're going to have to now cope with the demands of European football. So sending one of their main attackers away to be a depth option, um, what was a top four rival of theirs, would seem a bit mad, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I think all the castination around signing Jared Bowen is a, a rotation option. In just purely in terms of the quality of player he is, I think is a bit mad and dare I say it's a bit of snobbery coming in um, because he's playing for West Ham United 
um, who I should remind everyone were challenging for the top four until very late on. It's not it's not another relegation signing, which wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world because the relegation signings we've made have been pretty good. Um, but yeah, I I would be surprised if Jared Bowen was the forward to come in, given how many young forwards there are out there. And we've talked about Dibak Origi being hard to shift, but if as I said before, if we could get him as a part exchange deal, then that means that you're swapping over two players who are a non-homegrown member of the squad. And then if Shakiri goes, you can bring in another foreign um, another foreign player on top of that. So I think that bringing in an English player, we have, a, we have plenty of homegrown players. There's a lot of British talent in the... Um, uh, in the Liverpool team, making up those numbers. You've got Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Trent, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott will all be part of the squad and they're all homegrown. So the number of English players is the issue. It's about filling those non-homegrown um, spots with players who we need. Um, and yeah, there's plenty of talent out there that I'm sure would go for fairly cheap. I mean, someone who I would be quite interested in is picking up is um, Ilex Mariba from uh, Barcelona, who's been dropped down to Barcelona's reserve grade because he's refusing to sign a contract. His contract's up next year. He's, um, I think he's just around 18 years old um, and has been compared with Yaya Torre. And whenever I've seen him from Barcelona, he's been really impressive. So if we could get someone like him to come in, be a young option off the bench and bed him in, I think he'd be a great... Um, maybe budget option to come into our midfield with Barcelona's um, previously discussed financial issues. Yeah, we shall see on transfers. I'm sure there's, like I say, still a long way to go. Um, in terms of pre-season games, we've seen a few now. There's been a, um, two or three friendlies. Um, from what has been viewed, it looks like Canate and Joel Matip are having, you know, they've, they've been partnered together in, in the heart of defence a lot. Um, with Van Dyke and Gomez, I've yet to see any games, but I believe Van Dyke is set to play against Hertha Berlin in the next friendly this week. We reckon it's going to be most likely that it's going to be a Canate Matic partnership start of the season against Norwich. Yeah, it looks like it. And I think if Van Dyke can't play the opening game, I think that's my preferred option uh, of Matip and, and Canate. I've got more faith in in that back uh, you know, centre half partnership than maybe a Joe Gomez and Canate, um, even though Gomez hasn't played any pre season just yet. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you've got Matip who will, you know, coach him alongside him. Who, you know, we've got Norwich away, so it's potentially not the, the toughest opening game for Canate to sort of get used to the Premier League and get, get his first game out of the way. Um, and I think if anyone's going to help him, uh, it's going to be Matip. Um, and then I think they'll complement each other well. I think Canate's got, you know, he's got the pace and he's got the strength where Matip will, We've seen what it's like with his feet. Sometimes he gets the ball on his head, on his edge box, on the edge of his own box, and then he'll go running past the halfway line on one of his crazy little runs that he does. Um, and he, he, you know, he can distribute the ball well. So I think it could be a solid partnership to start the season. And obviously, then you welcome the best centre half in the world in, and um, we'll take it from there. See how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, can, well, I think Canate, from the um, figures that I've seen, is going to be another centre half who likes to make those crazy little runs into um, uh, into midfield. Um, his stats for dribbles are very high. Um, yeah, I have no issues with Canate and Matip being the centre half pairing for the start of the season, um, just as long as Matip manages to stay fit for five minutes. 
Um, but I think one thing that gives me a lot of hope is that last season we lost a lot of goals from set pieces. Um, that had really been a big weapon of ours, both in the uh, Champions League final winning season and in the Premier League winning season. Um, Trent and Robertson dropping balls onto the heads of Matip and Van Dijk, two guys who are well over um, six feet. Um, I think they're around six four. Um, and then you're bringing in Ibrahim Kanata, who's um, as big, if not bigger, than, <laughs> than Van Dijk. You've all of a sudden got a lot of targets, plus Fabinho, who's, what, 6'2", um, for Trent and Robertson to aim at. So I think that will bring us a brand new Arsenal into um, uh, into our goal-scoring game. And I'd be really interested to see how that goes against Norwich. Another interesting little wrinkle we've seen in pre-season so far is that it seems like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's being deployed in more of a false nine kind of central forward position. Is that something we're excited to see if that's a plan maybe going into next season? Um, something a bit different from Klopp? Yeah, it's, it was a bit of a curveball when obviously he started as the false number nine in pre-season. Um, I guess Klopp seen him playing out wide last season and failed to really make an impact. And the way the midfield is, even with losing Wijnaldum, I still think it's Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago, so he's not going to play in central midfield. So his only other option is, obviously, to maybe play that false number nine, I think. You know, he's, he's a strong lad. He's quick with his feet. Uh, he's strong. He has scored some really good goals for Liverpool over the past since he arrived. Obviously, the two goals against uh, City and obviously last season against Burnley when he came off the bench and, and grabbed the third goal. He took it well inside the box. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, to have Salah, Firmino, uh, sorry, Salah, Mane and Oxley chamberlain running at you at pace and with strength, um, I think that could cause a couple of defences, you know, a fair few problems going into next season. I think the benefit with Oxlade Chamberlain, um, I mean, he and Firmino are very, very different players. Um, Firmino's, um, he plays up to the Brazilian stereotype quite nicely. He's really skillful, likes to play little cute flicks and passes and stuff like that. But the thing that I found frustrating with Firmino last season was that, he's, that he was incredibly shot shy. Um, and w- and when he did shoot, he just didn't look like he connected with the ball at all. It looked like his technique hitting the ball was just wrong. And if there is one thing that you can say about Arsene Chamberlain is that A, he's not shy to shoot, and B, his technique striking the ball is fantastic. Um, the other thing that he would give us from false nine, which I, I like, and we've seen hints of in preseason, is he carries the ball really well from deep. If you um, if you look at the two goals that uh, James brought up against Manchester City, both came from him picking the ball up from deep, driving forward and taking that shot from the edge of the box. And I think that's a really good weapon um, for us to use. And like Firmino, he would be happy to drop back into midfield and give us the support if it looks like we're getting outnumbered there. So I, I don't hate the idea. Um, I think it's a risk. Um, you know, he's, ne- he's never played as a false nine before. He's played as a winger, but he's never played as a false nine, um, to my knowledge, consistently. Um, but, you know, he's played, he's played, he's been competent in the midfield. He's been competent at right wing. He's been competent at right wing back as well for Arsenal. So he, he's clearly an intelligent footballer who knows how to apply himself to different positions. And especially if it looks like Harvey Elliott could be moving into a role as a number eight, 
um, then yeah, I, I have little to no issue with Ox being tried out as a false nine. Yeah, I think with Firmino particularly, um, potentially, sorry, coming back a little bit later to preseason, obviously he's been away with Brazil in, in the Copper America. Um, so he's not going to have quite as much of a preseason, whereas Oxlade Chamberlain didn't go to the Euro. So he's had, you know, he's going to been there the whole preseason to kind of adapt and get up to speed quicker. It might be something we see in a couple of games at the start and just kind of see how it goes. Um, Max mentions Harvey Elliott there. So let's talk about him a little bit. Obviously, he had a great season on loan at Blackburn in the Championship last season. I think a lot of Liverpool fans thought maybe he'd come back and maybe have another loan, maybe to a Premier League side, see how he fares there. But I think there's, as reports stand at the minute, and obviously this can change in an instant, but it looks like he's set to start the season staying at Liverpool. So how big a role can we see him having this season? Do you think he's going to be regularly on the bench coming into games or is he just going to be stopped playing in the Cups? How much football do we expect him to get? I, I I expect him to be on the bench for Premier League games, especially if Shakiri does leave. Um, you know, Shakiri was the man for the bench, so I think he'd probably take his spot on there. Um, and you know, if Liverpool are two, three in a lot at home with twenty twenty five minutes to go, then I think that's where you'll throw Harvey Harvey Elliott on, try and get him that experience in the Premier League, um, and then I f- fully expect him to play. You know, the the in the League Cup, in the FA Cup, and in Champions League games, if we're already through the group, or if we've got a really weak opponent who usually comes in in, in the last pot. Um, but yeah, I, I thought maybe a Premier League move on loan, maybe to a mid-table side, someone who possibly isn't going to be fighting relegation this season, um, just to get him some first first team football and see what he can do up the higher end of the of the Premier League table. You know, I'd rather him go to somebody like a Wolves who you'd probably expect to finish mid-table or thereabouts than someone like a a Norwich who have already favourites to go down. So um, if Klopp has seen enough from him from pre-season to to warrant staying in the team and not going out on loan, then I don't think I'll I'll argue with him. I think I've got a little bit more faith in... I've been the optimist here. I'm really excited. Um, I think I've got a little bit more faith in Harvey. I think we'll see him in a bit of a Curtis Jones kind of role. Um, you know, coming on quite regularly, maybe starting the old game. I mean, watching him in preseason, the guy he loves to dribble. He loves taking players on. He'd be a very different kind of eight uh, to what we've seen. But he's played most of the time in that in that midfield role because I don't think he has the pace. Um, to be a right winger in our 4-3-3. If we do, as could happen, um, switch to a 4-2-3-1 where the verticality of the role is less of an issue, um, then I could see him maybe playing on the right um, or in the centre of that system. But I think in the 4-3-3, if he's playing as an eight and we're playing maybe Henderson and Fabinho or more defensive-minded players next to him, I think he could be that sort of creative eight, maybe um, transitioning to a 10 when we're in possession. Um, I don't think that will be a constant. I don't think he's going to be a starter. But I think we could see him quite regularly. And if there's an injury to... um, uh, to someone, I could see him definitely making an impact, especially when um, Salah, Mane and Keita leave for the African Cup of Nations in the middle of the year. Yeah, to, to me, I, I don't know if you guys agree, but he's got a little bit of the Grealishes about him in terms of 
the way he likes to get the ball at his feet and take people on. And he had an absolutely outrageous shot from a really tight angle against Mainz the other day. So he's not a boy that's short of confidence, um, that's for sure. Just finally on the pre-season stuff then, is um, Naby Keita, again, has seemed to be absolutely wonderful in pre-season. And how many years we've said we've said this, how great he looks in friendlies, but only for him to, you know, come into the team for a, for a little while, have some flashes of brilliance, get injured and inevitably vanish for a few weeks. With Jordan Henderson, Thiago and Fabinho, who you'd, you'd imagine is your, is, your, is your best midfield three, with all of those three guys, again, similarly to Firmino, coming back to pre-season late due to their involvement in major tournaments, is now is it really now or never time for Cater to get in the team from the start of the season, make a case for himself, and please, God, stay fit? Oh, I, I feel like we're asking ourselves this every every single preseason. Um, yeah, I, th- I think this is do or die now for Navigator. Um, there's only so many times you can bring up the the excuse of injuries and he's not getting a fur crack in the team because I think what we've seen from Navigator is he'll be injured for two months. Then it'll take him about five or six games to get back in the groove again. He'll get to the sixth game and then he's injured again for two months. And then it's literally, it's just like a, a rinse and repeat cycle with Navigator. He's injured, gets fit, looks like he's going to stay in the team, gets injured again. So I think, especially with Wijnaldum leaving, I think it opens up a little spot for him. You know, he's got a more of a chance of getting into that midfield free. Um, but again, like we said, we've seen him light up preseason so many times. Oh, I remember his, his first preseason with the club; he absolutely lit it up. But then again, it's, it's just the injuries, and that's that's the big concern. And I think that's the big shadow that will follow him around now uh, for the rest of the season. Is for for every great performance he puts in, how many games is he going to miss through injury? Um, and I think that's the only worrying thing with him because he has got the natural ability. We've seen him, you know, absolutely run games, box to box, you know, as a number eight for Liverpool should be able to do. But it's just a lack of consistency from him, plus the money we actually paid for him. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's not been a, the most, or the best signing uh, of the Klopp era. In all honesty, if you'd asked me this at the beginning of the summer, I wouldn't have even said it was do or die anymore. I think die happened about um, about a year ago, to be honest. Um, I, I have no issues with Navigator as a player. I think he carries the ball really well. His passing, his passing is really good. Um, his ability to beat the press is ridiculous. I still remember, I think it was his second or third game for us against Crystal Palace. Andros Townsend went to press him and he did the sweetest little cry turn around him, just left him for dead and then hit a 60-yard pass over the top for Salah that Salah missed on the one-on-one. It was the most ridiculous piece of skill. Um, But much as I want him to succeed, he's become a passenger and a very expensive passenger at that. And if somebody offered us £30 million for him today, I would let him go in a heartbeat and I'd sign, you know, someone like Hussam Awa um, uh, to replace him, someone younger, um, someone who might stay fit. And I think we could get a player of a similar level of talent um, for a decent fee at the moment, but it doesn't look like anyone's going to sign him because weirdly they want their players to stay fit for more than, you know, 15-odd league games 
every season. So, look, I really hope he proves me wrong. I really hope that he has the season that we've all hoped that he would this year. But as James said, anytime I see him play well, I'm just like, this is just, you know, holding the carrot in front of me before you take it away. Um, I just think that he's just too, he just can't be relied upon. And yeah, that's why I think if a half decent offer comes in for him, I think we should jump at it. Yeah, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because as you say, he's so talented and you just know at some point over the start, over the season, you'll just see that tweet from Liverpool on the match day saying, Naby Keita's not involved today with a knock and that knock will last six weeks. Um, but yeah, we have to wait and see and see who starts the season because it will be actually interesting what midfield Klopp goes with, with, you know, with Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago, like say, all coming, coming back late. Do you guys think the first game against Norwich team selection wise is going to be, you know, not what our strongest 11 would look like when you consider that Van Dijk's probably not going to play the first game against Norwich. And then those three I mentioned, maybe Firmino may, may not all start. Yeah, I, I, I do think we are going to miss certain big players. I don't expect Henderson to play the first game. Um, obviously, the length that in England went into the Euros, because I don't think uh, it's been reported that, I think it was in the Telegraph, that Harry Kane's not going to be available for the first game of the season, regardless of who he plays for, whether it is City or Tottenham. Um, so I don't expect Henderson to start either. So I'm expecting the, the usuals to be in there, Robertson, Trent, um, Allison. Um, and then Canate and Mate, as we, as we spoke about before. And I agree, Firmino coming in late, probably see Chamberlain in that false number nine, unless we bring in another player or Jota is is you know, got the green light to start the season. He's he's fresh enough to start. And then the midfield three, um, you know, it, it's going to be missing Henderson. I know that for sure, but it will be a fairly strong team. And I expect them to get the, the first win on the opening day of the season. Um, but this is the problem with an international tournament and players coming from big injuries is you don't want to throw them in right at the beginning because we, you know, we've got a really hectic Christmas and you know that's only three months from the start of the season. So you don't want to be trying to rush in everyone back, get everyone into the first team, try and get them wins on the board. But with a busy Christmas, with you know the League Cup and the FA Cup starts in January in the Champions League, um, I think Klopp will be very cautious about who he starts in the first couple of games. I, I think the the benefit is is that I don't think Henderson will start either, um, uh, despite his comparative lack of game time. But I think the lack of game time, because Fabinho, Thiago and Henderson, yes, they all went far, but none of them were starters um, uh, for their teams. And Alison Becker wasn't either. Um, I think that we could very well see Fabinho um, on the first day, I think Thiago is a possibility. Um, even though we could see, you know, Jones and Cater ahead of um, uh, Fabinho, possibly. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's a. Um, I think that that Thiago Thiago is the one weirdly that I think we could very well see um, starting against Norwich. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting how we bring those players. Back into it, that I'm I'm already worried about the African Cup of Nations because not only are Salah and Mane going to be away, Cater will as well, of course, but Egypt and Senegal are probably two of the top four or five nations in the African Cup of Nations. So I'm just I hope I wish them all the individual success, but 
if you know Mo Salah comes out with a golden boot and Egypt get eliminated in the group stages somehow, then I will be very happy. <laughs> That'd be a mental start for the tournament if that if that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, we will see what happens, and we'll be back. You know, to talk you through all the games through the season. And um, but that's it for our. First show of season two, back into it, boys. Um, so, James, Max, as ever, thank you for your time. Thanks for having us back after this uh, long couple of weeks. <laughs> Always good to chat to you, boys. Have a good one. And, uh, yeah, can't wait for the next episode. Great. So, we'll be back next week to talk all things Liverpool. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>